Welcome to Chazon the Podcast. The next few episodes are part of the series, Sound the Call, a journey through COP26. COP26 is a UN summit that has convened global leaders to accelerate action towards averting the worst impacts of the climate crisis. Yakir Manella, CEO of Chazon, and Nigel Savage, the visionary founder of Chazon, have flown to Glasgow to advocate for bold, meaningful climate action and meet other faith climate leaders who are doing the same. During each episode, they will speak with a different faith leader who they've met at COP26 to debrief the day's events and to learn more about their climate work. Today, Yakir's met up with Reverend Susan Hendershot, the president of Interfaith Power and Light. This conversation was recorded live right from COP26, so please excuse some of the background noise you'll hear from the event. Enjoy. Good afternoon, everybody, or I should say good morning. There it's morning, here it's afternoon. So hello from COP26 here in Glasgow. My name's Yakir Manella. I'm the CEO of Chazona. Welcome to Sound the Call, a Jewish journey through COP26. I'm here with my new friend and partner, Reverend Susan Hendershot, CEO of Interfaith Power and Light. Really grateful to be here together with you in dialogue and doing good work here um, with a few uh, 30,000 of our closest friends, yes, right? Um, yes. We're, uh, we're in the green zone. Um, you may have heard about the green zone and the blue zone. I think I would define this, the difference as blue zone seems to be more people and it's where there's like hundreds, it seems, of pavilions from every country and all kinds of different you know, displays and, and also where the world leaders are gathering, although Phil Paul and I tried to get in there they wouldn't let us into that part. Um, and the green zone is more sort of civil society and like open to the public. So some, some great stuff here. Um, and Susan, it's just great to, to be with you. So I uh, would love for you to start by just telling us a little about, about yourself and about Interfaith Power and Light and what, you know, the last few days have been like for you. Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, thanks for inviting me to be here. It's it, I'm thrilled to be with Zone and in this space with you. And um, so Interfaith Power and Light was founded 21 years ago as a religious response to global warming. And our mission is to inspire and mobilize people of faith and conscience to take hold and just action on climate change. So from the start, we have been working on climate change with the interfaith community. So people of all, as we say, all faith traditions and none. Uh, the spiritual but not religious is certainly a part of our, our big tent. And, um, and we're, you know, we're really excited to be here this year because this is the first year that IPL has had its own accreditation. Um, so instead of working through another organization to get a badge to attend, uh, we actually were able to share badges with some other folks in the community and invite others to be a part of this. Um, boy, my first, my first few days, so I got in on Saturday. And, um, and so I, I'm, I'm particularly jet lagged today. Day three is, is the worst I hear. Um, but it's, it's actually been a really interesting couple of days. Uh, the, the, on Sunday, I was able to attend both the interfaith prayer vigil that was held in, in George Square in Glasgow. It was, it was a really beautiful event. Um, there were uh, representatives from a multitude of religious traditions who were speaking, giving prayers in their own tradition, 
uh, sometimes in languages that we didn't understand, uh, but we all knew that the, the spirit was with us, you know, the sacred spirit was with us in that space. Um, and it was beautiful to hear those from the Jewish, the Christian, the Muslim, uh, Sikh, Baha'i, uh, Buddhist, Hindu, uh, pagan traditions who were all uh, sharing just their own uh, deep spirituality with one another and why we need to come together as space to care for the earth, uh, which sustains us all. Um, so that was a lovely event. And then it was followed that same afternoon uh, by the Talanoa Dialogue that was uh, held at uh, Garnet Hill Synagogue. It was a beautiful, beautiful historic space. Um, and again, speakers uh, who shared with us kind of at the beginning before folks broke out into smaller groups for conversation. Um, and I was really, really struck by uh, one of the speakers who was from Fiji, who was talking about, of course, the island nations uh, that are, you know, losing their homeland and wearing this beautiful shell cross. He happened to be Christian, but a uh, necklace that was made out of shells. And he said he wears it because it's part of his culture and they know that the children there may not be able to share that culture. They may not be able to continue creating these beautiful necklaces and jewelry out of these shells. It's really heartbreaking. Of course, we know that. We've heard that about loss and damage and, uh, you know, nations, especially island nations and low-lying countries uh, who have massive population displacement. Um, but to hear those personal stories is really, really impactful. So, you know, to be able to participate in that so far has been lovely. And also to know that there are so many other faith leaders who are here with us in this space. Yeah, yeah, thank you. It's, it's been amazing just walking through the halls and seeing the Archbishop of Canterbury, the Chief Rabbi. So there's really, and it feels very right in line that faith leaders are here and that presence is, is being felt to the extent that a 30,000 group of people can, right, right. can feel <laughs> that presence. And, and I did get to, I came in after those those events, but did get to a bagel brunch at Garnet Hill Synagogue yesterday morning when I first arrived. Good, good. And we'll be there, uh, we're hosting a Shabbat dinner. We were greeted by a bagpiper at the door. So it was Amazing. really just this whole beautiful. lovely, you know, cultural experience all the way around. Awesome, it's a beautiful <laughs> space. And we're, we're hosting a, a Shabbat dinner there Friday night for the Israeli delegation and Jews from all around the world that are here. So really, really uh, wonderful. And, you know, just in the last 24 hours or so, there's been some some news that folks um, back home have probably heard and we're watching as well. Um, on the on the lighter, more superficial front, you know, there was this apology from President Biden for uh, the prior administration's um, withdrawal from the Paris Accord. More, much more impactfully, the Biden administration uh, released a a methane rule, methane being one of the most uh, pernicious greenhouse gases that really needs to be aggressive, uh, aggressively contained and addressed. So that's encouraging. Um, here at, at COP26, uh, two significant events, or one yesterday, one today. One is that uh, Prime Minister Modi of India yesterday um, pledged that that major country uh, and major emitter has pledged to get to net zero by 2070. Um, encouraging to see that pledge. The timing is is concerning, but it is at least, you know, a clear, a clear goal um, for that really important nation. Um, and then 
more collectively, global leaders as a whole, yes, yesterday and today, this morning, pledged to try to end deforestation by 2030. 2030, that's right around the corner. And deforestation away. is not a small thing because they're going to stop that entirely. A lot of talk about biodiversity and nature positive positivity here. So just some of the big sort of things, and my sense is kind of that's the idea. Every day there's going to be new, hopefully, you know, big commitments and pledges made. Question is, how does it all add up? So, you know, someone that's been, you mentioned earlier, you've been to a prior COP um, in Madrid. You know, how's, what's your sense of, of those sort of headlines? Are we... Are we on? Are we on track to where you thought we would be at this point in the gathering? How are you feeling about all the headlines? Well, let's keep in mind the the last COP that I attended was mm -hmm. two years ago in Madrid, mm -hmm. and the U.S. had exited the Paris Agreement. Mm -hmm. uh, so, while U.S. Uh, the U.S. civil society was present mm -hmm. and certainly still pushing for goals, there was a sense of uh, not. It was, it was very difficult to say that you could deliver on anything at home, right? And so for IPL, one of the ways that we think about our work in relationship to the UN and the UNFCCC process and COP is um, that, that we want to be able to, uh, you know, urge the U.S. to do its work at home because you can't make promises in the global community that you can't deliver on it. So, so a lot of the work that we're focused on is advocacy around U.S. federal policy. So that's kind of our way into the conversation. So imagine two years ago coming, you know, under the Trump administration and recognizing that we couldn't accomplish anything at home. It was, you know, we were completely playing defense on everything. There was no legislation. All of the regulatory work was being rolled back that had been accomplished under the Obama administration. And so it was pretty discouraging, you know, to show up in that space. But still, we felt like our presence was important. You know, that, that global leaders need to see that U.S. civil society was still in, even if officially the U.S. government was not still in. So turn that around to 2021 and where we are now here in Glasgow, which is the fact that we have an administration that is actively working. So we, we, we've looked at, uh, you know, the bipartisan infrastructure plan back home in the US, which is sort of still awaiting approval right. from Congress. Right. Also the Build Back Better plan. Um, and, you know, those, those are moving slowly, but they are moving forward and they're significant pieces of legislation. So assuming that those pass in some, shape or form uh, in the next few weeks, um, that is already sort of a marker of our commitment. Then alongside that, you have things like the, the fuel efficiency standards that we've been working on, this, the methane standards that have just been released, the, the global methane pledge that has been signed by a number of nations. Um, and I feel like it is, it, it, it's really, it's sort of night and day between, you know, 
going to Madrid and coming to Glasgow and feeling, I think, a much deeper sense of hope that um, that we're that we're earnestly striving for something better. It's it's not perfect, right? It's not perfect. We know it's not perfect, um, but it's we're getting farther than we've been before, and we also know that we need to increase our ambition and go even farther in order to keep warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius, which we know is where we need to go. Yeah. Thank you for saying that, you know, because there was so much, uh, frankly, um, demoralizing hype going into this. Yes. Like, you know, the week or two leading up to this, it's like, why am I even going? Everybody's written it off. It's not going to be impactful. And to really recall the sense of perspective, where were we? Where are we now? Where's the I have a, a dear friend, the CEO of the JC in Baltimore, Rock Room, who always says, we're directionally correct. We're going in the right <laughs> direction. You know, we might not. And, and unfortunately, there's this feeling, you know, uh, about, yes, that's really important, but it's not just directionally correct. We have to be um, correct on the pace yes. as well. Yes. So, so I think that's, that's where sort of the tension is, right? Mm -hmm. We're, we're in the right direction and i think the uh prime minister modi's pledge is actually the case in point of that right. right that we're pledging at zero what does it mean for any country and for the world as a whole to be there on time right. versus late and obviously 1.5 degrees already takes into account we're seeing things like we're not even at 1.5 yet and think about what we just saw this season so well and i think the other thing that i'll just tack on to that is you know we know that that you know as as faith communities who have been working on issues that are intersected with climate change for, you know, ever, right? I mean, we've been working on poverty, hunger, you know, population migration. We've been working on a, a series of, of racial and economic justice issues, right, mm -hmm. across our histories. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the thing that I, I want to very clearly say is it, it matters that we increase ambition and it matters that we go fast, mm -hmm. but it also matters how we do it and who is included. Mm -hmm. And and that has historically been part of the issue, right, mm -hmm. is, is uh, you know, wealthy countries sort of coming in and, and like setting the pace and and setting the terms, and you have vulnerable nations, low-lying nations, island nations, who have contributed almost nothing to the issue, but are suffering the worst damages. And so we have to be really clear that we have to center communities, we have to center indigenous nations, and we have to center justice, climate justice and ecological justice in this work. And so, you know, for going back to sort of U.S. policy, you know, one of the, the things that we've been really interested in is the Justice 40 initiative, you know, 40% of, uh, you know, money is going into frontline and indigenous communities. Um, and the same thing, I think, when we look at what's happening with finance here globally at the COP, which is we have to look at not only mitigation, which of course is important and has historically been sort of the, the, the marker, right, that we're meeting, but 
we know that we're already having to adapt in the US, we're having to adapt in global aid, we're having to adapt. So this goal of striving to get 50% of climate finance to adaptation and 50% to mitigation is important. Then we have the issue of loss of damage, which is, of course, monies that really need to be on top of mitigation and adaptation to help countries that can no longer adapt, right? And, and that's a really discouraging thing to think of, but it's the facts on the ground. And as I think for the US, as the world's largest historical emitter, you know, we have a historic responsibility to really pay our fair share for climate finance uh, to help these kids over So I just, you know, I just wanted to say it's like fast is good, but we have to do it right. It's yeah. not just fast, yeah. it's also just. Yeah, amen, amen. Um, and I think, you know, and that just sort of adds up to how big of a deal this is, how many organizations and people and communities are coming together. What a what a gargantuan task to yes. do this at at a pace that is meaningful and in a coalition that is, yes. that is right. Yes. I mean, it's, it's profound the, the you know the effort here. Um, and I just wonder as you look out over the next week, the next two weeks of your time here. What are you looking forward to, both here and maybe you know in the imminent aftermath like, of, of this? What, what are you? What's on your horizon? Wow, that's a big question. Um, you know, I think that I think honestly, the thing that's most impactful to me being in this space is getting to connect with my colleagues, uh, many of whom are based in the U.S. and I still never get to see because of COVID and so on. Um, it, I love this sense of working in solidarity with faith-based organizations who often don't have a seat at the table or, you know, are sort of shuffled off to the side, right? Um, and so to be working together in this space and bringing sort of a unified voice on, you know, the moral opportunity that we have to provide leadership um, is really important to me. And so, you know, so that's always the number one thing is just the relationships, you know, being with people, um, seeing some of my colleagues who have been working in this space also for a long time, um, who are from faith-based organizations or secular organizations, um, but doing equally brilliant work. Um, and then I think, you know, importantly, in terms of sort of outcomes that we're looking for, I mean, you know, we really are looking for some solid outcomes on loss and damage. We, we want to see uh, this issue taken up seriously and with intentionality, um, instead of it sort of being a, you know, a, a side conversation or sort of somewhat connected to adaptation. It's like it needs to be a standalone issue. Um, and, you know, the piece around climate finance, you know, there's a lot of things that have to get clarified around climate finance. And I'm hoping that real progress can be made here because at the end of the day, um, you know, I, I've seen some signs outside where they say, you know, uh, COP26 is a talk shop, you know, it's a talk shop. And, and so I, I want, you know, I'd like for, for the nation states to prove that it can be more than a talk shop, that like real solutions can be found here and coming together in solidarity and with ambition. Um, 
we'll see if that happens. Um, but I'd like to I'd like to come in uh, with a sense of hope that that it can be accomplished. Amen. Amen. Um, you know, uh, as you know, some people pray leaders so the, the small central prayer about unity and Judaism says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. With all your might, put, put your money where your mouth is, right, put right. your capacity where your right. mouth is. And, you know, uh, I just walked out of a session about, you know, how, how to engage uh, youth leaders. It's an amazing panel of youth leaders from all around the world amazing activists from China and, and others. Um, and I think that's really, you know, what the, the rising tide, not only youth, but definitely like, yes, we get it. It's, it's the United States, you're talking about it, world leaders, do it. Right, right. <laughs> and, you know, I had somebody yesterday say something like, man, think about how much money is spent on this event and how much, like, it's only worth it if there's really a lot of action that comes out of it. And, you know, there's also this teaching in, in Judaism. Uh, uh, when the Torah is, is given on Mount Sinai, the Israelites say, we will do and we will listen. It's like, we're going to do it. We're also going to figure it out as we go, but yeah. we're going to do it. Yeah. So on that, on that you know, front, um, Reverend, I just, you work with Interfaith Context for many years. Yes. You get to see Jewish community and other communities show up in that context. And I wonder, you know, if you could, sometimes when you're in it, you don't get to see it as the same way as a little bit of a, a different perspective. What do you see as the, the strengths of the Jewish community in this work, the unique sort of contributions we can make? Maybe there are unique challenges that we have as well. So what's your yeah. perspective on how yeah. the Jewish community can show up in a deeper way? Oh, wow. Well, I think that, first of all, I think the Jewish community already is showing up in a deep and meaningful way. So let me say that. And I have many, many Jewish colleagues that I work very closely with in Washington, D.C. And, and uh, many of our uh, IPL state affiliate leaders are Jewish. And, and uh, so I see the impact of their work every day. So just want, want to you. say that. Uh, you know, I, so... I'm going to just share a little personal story here, which is, um, you know, it's, it's, it's challenging sometimes, like you said, when you're doing this work every day. Right. I mean, you know, honestly, I think everybody cares about climate change or, you know, it's like, or everybody knows. And, and I, everybody step, wants to I step back and I think like, oh, wait, you know, I'm living this all the time, uh -huh. right? So it's very different than where most people are in their, in their day to day lives. Um, and so, you know, it's, I think working on climate is, um, is incredibly challenging, right? It, it is, a, it is a hard, it is a burnout issue to work on. Um, and so one of the things that I have found really meaningful is carving out some time every morning of my day to do some uh, spiritual grounding. And, you know, I, I read a psalm every day, which is, you know, close to my heart. And, um, and, well, and, and, I, and I love reading uh, Abraham Joshua Heschel. Part of the reason for that is, uh, I think it's in uh, his book, God in Search of Man. He has this really beautiful sort of series of little chapters that are on awe and wonder, reverence. And so, so for me, though, it has been really impactful in my life and, and trying to remember you know, sort of looking out that we can see out the windows yeah. from where we're sitting and, 
and seeing like these little the clouds and the snatches of blue sky and the geese flying overhead and and recognizing that you know all of this beauty that exists is sort of you know for, from from my tradition and your tradition sort of emanating from god right you know sort of coming from god and and to be able to recognize the awe and the wonder is a way of reconnecting with god and with the sacred and the spiritual and and i need to remind myself of that in this work because it can be such a case where we you know we're going 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 and we're we're reading news articles and and papers and we're writing things and you know responding to things and there's a, a way in which technology can kind of separate us from uh the world the natural world around us and so getting back out into nature getting out into that sense of awe and wonder and i think you know to me there's there's that piece in the jewish tradition which is, is done so well but also the recognition of the sabbath you know that that there is time for rest and that the land rests and the people rest and the creatures rest when we all rest and i often wonder like if we even spent one day of the week not buying yeah. right like not being consumers yeah. what would that mean for how the earth might be able to heal yeah. right and so I think those are just some of the really beautiful, like sort of theological contributions that the Jewish tradition gives to us in the climate movement. Amazing. Thank you so much. Um, you know, uh, first of all, was, the forecast was it's going to be cold and rainy all week. This week. <laughs> yes. It's, uh, I mean, it's partly sunny. Yes, there's it's, some sun. It's it's uh, <laughs> it's been it's been nice this week, and and there's a beautiful river. It's like there's yes. an opportunity here to just where you enter this. I mean, yesterday in the blue zone, I was like, I could. It's almost like a casino experience. Like there's no windows. Yes. You have no idea. Yes. It's just exactly. So like here in this experience, it's more to like go outside, take a deep breath, right. and come back in. Right, right. And I think you know our our movement and and others in the Jewish world and, and outside, you know, beyond just connecting to the natural world is such a powerful tool here. You know, we we help protect what we care about, what we love. And I think the community is doing that in really powerful ways. And talking to Bill Paul yesterday, he was like, what if, what if Shabbat and Shemitah, this is the sabbatical year, yes, in the yes, sabbatical year, exactly. what would it look like for that idea to, to take hold? I, I've been for years been dreaming, forget about Shemitah, just Shabbat. If we could just convince more people around the yes. world, you don't have to take yes. on any religious commitments, just try taking a day off one day a week from technology, from exactly. buying things, how exactly. radical would that be in terms of our consumption and impact? So I, I just really, really um, appreciate your time. And you know, one thing I want to um, close with here, let me see if I can find this, uh, is, see ya. Um, is our, uh, in, in our tradition, in our liturgy, we have um, a, a prayer called the Traveler's Prayer. I don't know if you've ever come across that. Um, yeah. So, so this has been a really powerful thing, particularly in the context of this event, you know, because as we, as all the people that come here, you know, um, are really doing holy work, yes. you know? And so just just offering a, a prayer as we close, you know, for, for everybody that's here, may, they, may we all be successful, may we work together in partnership and tour, you know? So in, in, that, in that spirit, um, the traveler's prayer, 
May it be your will, Creator, that you lead us toward peace, guide our footsteps toward peace, and make us reach our desired destination for life, gladness, and peace. Oh, I don't have my glasses on. <laughs> may you. <laughs> I can read. May you rescue us from the hand type. May you rescue us from the hand of every foe, ambush along the way, and from all manner of punishments that assemble to come to earth. May you send blessing in our work and grant us grace, kindness, and mercy in your eyes and in the eyes of all who see us. May you hear the sound of our humble request. Blessed are you, creator, who hears prayer. Thank you, Reverend. Really great to spend time with you. Thank you for having me. Let's continue together in strength. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. Thank you for joining us. If you are interested in this series and other Chazon podcasts, be sure to subscribe to Chazon the Podcast. Next time, we will be speaking with Tariq Abu Hamed, the Executive Director of the Arava Institute. To follow other programs in the Sound the Call series at COP26, visit chazon.org backslash COP26.